in every other business improves dexterity and saves time. Each individual becomes more expert in his own peculiar branch. More work is done upon the whole, and the quantity of science is considerably increased by it. An inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations investigates the nature of wealth and the causes of wealth. Adam Smith seeks to answer two basic questions. First, what is the nature of wealth? The word nature is defined as the essential qualities or properties of a thing. So when we inquire into the nature of wealth, we seek the fundamental characteristics of wealth. Second, what are the causes of wealth? The word cause is defined as that which produces an effect, that which gives rise to any action, phenomenon, or condition. So when we inquire into the causes of wealth, we seek to know what produces wealth, what is necessary for wealth to exist at all. These two questions are closely related, and Adam Smith must answer the first in order to answer the second. If we are to know what causes wealth, we have to know what wealth is. If you read The Wealth of Nations, you would be wise to study its introduction. Although this book has been criticized for loose organization and many digressions, it is structured around a well-organized plan. The introduction, entitled Introduction and Plan of the Work, provides a road map to guide us through the complex terrain of Adam Smith's mind. Adam Smith opens with a theme that runs throughout his book. Human labor, he says, is the foundation of all wealth. The annual labor of every nation is the fund which originally supplies it with all the necessaries and conveniences of life which it annually consumes, and which consist always either in the immediate produce of that labor or in what is purchased with that produce from other nations. A nation's wealth is the ability of its consumers to purchase goods and services, or the necessaries and conveniences of life, as Smith puts it. This means the true measure of a nation's wealth is not its total amount of goods and services, but the amount of goods and services in proportion to the number of its consumers. According, therefore, as this produce, or what is purchased with it, bears a greater or smaller proportion to the number of those who are to consume it, the nation will be better or worse supplied with all the necessaries and conveniences for which it has occasion. What factors determine the amount of wealth available to consumers? Smith isolates two conditions, the productivity of labor and the rate of employment. This proportion must in every nation be regulated by two different circumstances. First, by the skill, dexterity and judgment with which its labor is generally applied. And secondly, the proportion between the number of those who are employed in useful labor and that of those who are not so employed. Whatever be the soil, climate, or extent of territory of any particular nation, the abundance or scantiness of its annual supply must, in that particular situation, depend upon those two circumstances. Smith regards the amount and degree of skilled labor as more important than the employment rate. A primitive society may have full employment, but if it lacks skilled labor, it will be miserably poor. This contrasts with an advanced society where even if it has high unemployment, 
skilled labor will create an abundance of wealth. This is why the poorest member of a commercial society may be better off than the richest member of a primitive society. Among the savage nations of hunters and fishers, every individual who is able to work is more or less employed in useful labor and endeavors to provide, as well as he can, the necessaries and conveniences of life for himself or such of his family or tribe as are either too old or too young or too infirm to go a-hunting and fishing. Such nations, however, are so miserably poor that from mere want they are frequently reduced, or at least think themselves reduced, to the necessity, sometimes, of directly destroying and sometimes of abandoning their infants, their old people, and those afflicted with lingering diseases to perish with hunger or to be devoured by wild beasts. Among civilized and thriving nations, on the contrary, though a great number of people do not labor at all, many of whom consume the produce of ten times, frequently of a hundred times more labor than the greater part of those who work, yet the produce of the whole labor of the society is so great that all are often abundantly supplied. And a workman, even of the lowest and poorest order, if he is frugal and industrious, may enjoy a greater share of the necessaries and conveniences of life than it is possible for any savage to acquire. If the productivity of labor is the primary cause of a nation's wealth, and if this wealth benefits everyone, then Adam Smith must explain two things. He must explain what makes labor more productive, and he must explain how a nation's wealth is distributed to its members. The causes of this improvement in the productive powers of labor and the order according to which its produce is naturally distributed among the different ranks and conditions of men in the society make the subject of the first book of this inquiry. Accordingly, the first book or part of The Wealth of Nations is called Of the Causes of Improvement in the Productive Powers of Labor and of the Order According to Which Its Produce is Naturally Distributed Among the Different Ranks of the People. After discussing the productivity of labor, Smith turns to the second cause of national wealth, the rate of employment. What determines the rate of employment in an advanced nation? Smith points to the amount and use of its capital stock. By capital stock, Smith means resources, such as machinery and tools, which are used to make consumer goods. An automobile factory uses its capital stock to manufacture cars, a consumer good. The greater a nation's capital stock, the greater its rate of employment. The number of useful and productive laborers, it will hereafter appear, is everywhere in proportion to the quantity of capital stock which is employed in setting them to work, and to the particular way in which it is so employed. The second book, therefore, treats of the nature of capital stock, of the manner in which it is gradually accumulated, and of the different quantities of labor which it puts in motion, according to the different ways in which it is employed. The second part of the wealth of nations, therefore, is called of the nature, accumulation, and employment of stock. 
After distinguishing advanced nations from primitive nations, according to the amount of wealth created by their productive labor, Adam Smith considers the differences among advanced nations. Two countries with skilled labor may differ considerably in their standard of living. What accounts for this? The third and fourth parts of the wealth of nations address this question. The governments of advanced countries have adopted different economic policies, and Smith believes these policies account to a great extent for the varying degrees of economic prosperity enjoyed by these countries. Book 3 of The Different Progress of Opulence in Different Nations is summarized by Smith as follows. Nations tolerably well advanced as to skill, dexterity, and judgment in the application of labor have followed very different plans in the general conduct or direction of it, and those plans have not all been equally favorable to the greatness of its produce. The policy of some nations has given extraordinary encouragement to the industry of the country, that of others to the industry of towns. Scarce any nation has dealt equally and impartially with every sort of industry. Since the downfall of the Roman Empire, the policy of Europe has been more favourable to arts, manufactures and commerce, the industry of towns, than to agriculture, the industry of the country. The circumstances which seem to have introduced and established this policy are explained in the third book. European governments, Smith says, have generally favored the industry of towns over the industry of the country, agriculture. Book three traces the evolution of this preferential treatment. And though Smith